0: Amen and Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 6. Gospel of Luke, and we'll be in Chapter 6 today. Very thankful for this time of worship, and it's always a blessing to observe communion, the Lord's Supper together as we remember what Christ has done for us. We're going to be studying today from the Sermon on the Mount here in Luke's account of that, in a series that we have called Summer on the Mount. Huh? Again, I told the first service, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm really happy with this sermon title, and I feel like it's underappreciated. I'm clearly over it, all right, as you can tell. Uh, But anyways, this is the best Google could do for me, all right? So, uh... Creative energy, here we go. But Summer on the Mount is all about walking through this passage together, and Jesus has been teaching us a lot of cool things. I want to remind you about the context of this message, though, because I think it's easy for us to kind of forget that this was one sermon that was taught by Jesus at one time, at one given moment course, we've been taking it section by section, right? So uh, Jesus didn't say, all right, that's all I had to say about that. Come back next week. No, Jesus preached all of this at once. So I think sometimes we could... Almost just think Jesus is scatter shooting here and just hitting random topics, but this is not random. Rather, this is a sermon preached by Jesus himself that is building on itself. So we can't forget what we've already talked about as we move into kind of a different topic today. So before we hit the text today, I want to refresh your memory from last week. We talked about love, and if you think, wow, that sounds really cool. Here's the reality. It sounds really good until the difficult left turn where we realized Jesus was talking about love for your enemies. Love for those who have hurt you in the past. Love for those who you can't really stand. Love for those who have had it out for you for a long time. That's the kind of love that Jesus said we should have. He called this love, uh, used the word in the Greek that is agape. And what that means is that love is not simply a feeling or an emotion. Rather, it is an active decision to have invincible goodwill toward others. No matter what happens, we're going to wish the best for the people in our lives, even those who we would call our enemies. I want to just address real quick a question that's come up a few times this week. I've had various people come up to me and basically bring some yeah, but type of scenarios. So, for example, it's like, what about those who have hurt me in the past? Uh, What about this scenario or that scenario? The truth is, in a 30 minute message, it's really impossible to address every single situation that may come up in your life especially those situations that involve hurt and pain in your life that you've been through. But I want to make something very, very clear this morning, and that's this. Jesus was not and is not calling anyone to stay in an abusive or harmful situation. Jesus is not calling us to allow people to hurt us and take advantage of us. In fact, Jesus actually calls us as the church to help protect and guard the vulnerable, to boldly call out those who hurt And attack others. But here's what I want to remind you. Even as you get safe distance from someone who has hurt you, even as you don't give to that person who you would be enabling, even as you struggle through awkward seasons of relationships where pain has been a reality, the call is to still have this agape love, to have invincible goodwill towards these people in our lives. Let me illustrate it this way. I can separate myself from a bad situation for the goodwill of that person. See, it isn't in their best interest for me to be in a position for them to abuse me, nor is it in my best interest. But the loving thing to do is to separate there. It would not be loving for me to give $20 to a friend who I know is walking through severe drug addiction. I know that that would not be wise. That would not be in their best interests. The Bible doesn't give us a blow-by-blow, instance-by-instance account for how we should respond in these situations, but here's the good news, y'all. We can pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom and discernment to help us be able to make wise decisions in these cases. But at the end of the day, this is agape love, that we would have invincible goodwill towards those people in our lives, even if we're having to take those kind of steps. So this week I want to talk for a few minutes about one of the roadblocks to agape love. One of the reasons we struggle to actually have this kind of love, and that's a critical spirit. We live in a world where criticism absolutely abounds. It is everywhere you look and everywhere you go. I think you probably have seen this in the media today. It doesn't really matter what side of the aisle politically you align with. There is a lot of criticism. I'm convinced that both sides of the aisle could just have a new platform that we're going to support puppies and kittens. And the other side would still be like evil, right? It's just how it is. And the media kind of drums that up in our culture. I think that's even bled over into sports culture. Used to you could watch a game and just watch highlights of what happened on the field or on the court. But now you're going to do that, and then afterwards they're going to trot out an expert, and that expert is going to give some pretty strong critique of the coach, of the players, and the organization as a whole. And it was only a preseason game, right? Like, that's how absurd it's gotten. Social media hasn't helped. Now you don't have to be an expert to be an expert opinion maker, right? Right? We all have a platform to throw our opinions out there, and if you don't like my opinion expressed on social media, you can criticize my critical post, and if I don't like it, then I'm going to criticize your critical post about my critical post, and it just goes on and on and on because we live in an ever-critical world. I was reading a story of a young man who decided it was time to settle down and get married, so he started... Uh, seeking a wife so he was dating some people and he would uh, find a young lady that he thought wow she's awesome and would take her home to meet the parents and every single time that he would take a young lady to meet the parents his mom would be incredibly critical his mom would say you know that she's not this she's not that she's got these problems and it would just just ruin those relationships time and time again so as this young man was about to give up he asked a friend of his He said, man, I don't know what to do. And his friend said, "Here's, I I got this, man. Here's what you need to do. You need to find a girl who's exactly like your mom. Find someone who talks like your mom, thinks like your mom, even looks like your mom, acts like your mom. That's what you need to do. Well, sure enough, by some random crazy happenstance, he finds a young lady who is strikingly similar to his mother. And he thinks this is the one, this might work. Hangs out with her, thinks, okay, this might actually work. So the time comes for him to introduce this young lady to his parents. They go and they have dinner and everything goes well. The next day he was talking to his buddy and his buddy said, hey, how did it go? And he said, man, I'm telling you, mom really liked her. She Talks like my mom, thinks like my mom, they had a lot in common. It really went incredibly well. The only problem was my dad couldn't stand her. <laughs> oh, that's good. That was a long bit. <laughs> that's, if you're visiting with us, that's about once a quarter that something like that happens. All right, let's get back to it. The truth is it's a lot easier to be critical than it is to be loving, isn't it? It's easy for us to find ourselves having a critical spirit instead of a loving spirit, but Jesus is going to address this issue head on and talk to us about how we can move from being critics to being counselors who help each other on this journey of discipleship. Church, did you know we need each other if we're going to grow in Christ? It's really what this message is going to be all about. So uh, I invite you to pray with me and we'll get to work. We'll get some lights cranked up so you can read your Bibles with me and we'll get after it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time, God. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word together and to study it. Uh, it's our desire to see you move today. Lord, we want to experience you. We want to hear your voice. Lord, we want to know that when we leave this place that we're not just feeling smarter. We're not just uh, feeling better about ourselves or anything like that. But God, we want to leave here knowing that we have experienced you. So God, help us to do that today. As we open your word, we come listening to you. Help us to not be people with critical spirits, but teach us to love like we have been loved. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Luke 6, let's start in verse 37 and read this passage together. The word of God says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Do you know what the most quoted verse in all of Scripture is? Perhaps you would guess John 3.16, and I think that would not be a bad guess, But many people believe that Matthew 7-1 is the most quoted scripture in all of the Bible in our modern culture. That's the verse that parallels with verse 37 here. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This verse has been used for years, and in fact we could even say centuries at this point, in what I believe are shockingly wrong ways. Pretty much any time we are critiqued, if we're honest today with each other, our first response is to say, Hey, don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. If somebody comes and even lovingly critiques us, we are very quick to say, hey, don't judge me. If someone comes into my life and they point out a struggle that I'm dealing with, one of my first reactions is to point back to this passage and say, Convenient that you can see the speck in my eye when you have the log sticking out of yours. Haven't you been there? Even the culture outside of the church, those who would even claim to be Christ followers, use this language quite a bit. Even when Christ followers are are known by the world oftentimes as judgmental Christians. By the way, sometimes we've earned that label. But there are a lot of times that even just speaking truth, the world considers us judgmental. And the world will say, when we call sin, sin, they'll say, don't forget what else Jesus said, that you shouldn't be judging me. So you need to read the rest of your Bibles. The reality is, we've taken what I believe Jesus gave us to be a source of truth and life to us in this passage, and instead we've taken it and turned it into a defensive weapon. Anytime you get too close to me, anytime it gets too confrontational, I'm throwing out this passage. Anytime things get a little too difficult, I've got the force field ready. When you try to speak truth into my life. But Jesus is not saying that we're never allowed to speak the truth or that we're not allowed to call sin what it is. In fact, when we read the Bible, we see a very clear call to call out sin, especially from within the church. You and I as the family of God are called to be honest and authentic with each other, to help each other identify blind spots in our lives that will lead to destruction unless we see them. The Bible calls us to do that. So in a very real way, we are actually called scripturally to lovingly critique each other. This can lead to some hard conversations, but the reality is this is how we grow. Jesus says this much. Look at verse 40. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Here's what that's saying. We are all still growing up. None of us have arrived yet. None of us are all the way there yet. We need each other if we're going to become like Christ. So it's going to sound today like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, so I want you to hang with me for a little while, because I need you to see that if we're going to grow in Christ, then we must be able to give and receive healthy criticism. This is a scriptural principle that Jesus points out here, and all of Scripture really speaks to you and I need to be able to give and receive healthy criticism so that we can be built up into who Christ wants us to be. But if that's the case, then what is Jesus talking about here? Because Jesus doesn't mess around, does he? He says, hey, quit judging people. Clean yourself up. Mind your own business before you get in other people's business, right? He's very direct. I believe what Jesus is talking about here is a critical spirit that is void of the agape love that he taught us about last week. A critical spirit that isn't working towards others' good or others' best interest. Theologian John Stott explained it this way. He said, an individual who's on the wrong side of this exhortation does this. First, they put the worst possible construction on the other people's motives. Always assign the worst motives to them. We think the worst of that person right out of the gate, regardless of what they say or do. The second thing Stott says is that we pour cold water on their schemes and dreams. Anybody ever been the cold water committee? I know I've been there, right? Like, oh, that'll never work. Oh, another crazy idea, right? The third thing Stott says is that we're ungenerous toward them when they make mistakes. That's the moment when they finally step in it, that instead of trying to love them and restore them with grace, what do we do in that moment? Yup, knew that was coming. I I told you, I tried to tell you about that guy. I saw his motives from the very beginning. I told you his plan wouldn't work. And now he's finally fallen down on his face. Have you ever been that person? The truth is, it's way easier to be that person than it is to be a loving person. The default setting of our flesh is to be critical of others. But Jesus told us last week that we need to make the active, intentional decision to love others. And that means working to change these critical spirits that come standard in all humans. Notice again in the text, this is not a suggestion. This is a command from Jesus. You'll see here in the text, though, this reciprocal effect. Yes, I just used the word reciprocal. I'm really proud of that, okay? Jesus said, don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. And then in the last line of verse 38, he says, The measure you use with others is the measure that will be given to you. So basically, if you judge others and you're critical of others, you're going to be judged, you're going to be criticized. If you show grace to others, you're going to be shown grace. This isn't some kind of weird karma type of threat happening here. But rather what Jesus is saying is this, if you spend your life criticizing and nitpicking others relentlessly, then those same standards are going to be used for you. And here's the reality, friends, you need to hear this today. You do not measure up to the same standards you're holding other people to. This is the dirty little secret of a critical spirit. You can't make the bar that you're trying to put up there for other people to hit. The same criticisms you're giving towards others are things that are actually happening in your life. Jesus goes on to say this in verses 41 and 42. He really meant to be funny. He says, how can you say, hey, let me help remove that speck when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye? It's meant to kind of say, wow, that's something I haven't thought of before. But at this point, it's really important for us to stop for just a minute, because here's where I think we've misapplied the scripture. Some of you right now are already here where we get to this point and we say, all right, you know what? Who am I to speak into somebody's life? You're right. I've got logs in my life, so I just need to back out of here. I'm not going to say anything to anybody. I just need to shut up and not say anything to anyone because I'm no one to talk. Have you used that phrase before? I know I have. Well, I mean, hey, well, I would talk to him, but who am I to say anything about that? I mean, because I struggle with that too. And, and you're struggling and I'm struggling. I mean, hey, man, we're all just struggling. No big deal, right? And because of that, nobody ever speaks the truth in love. And if we're not speaking the truth in love, then no one's changing. We're all just sitting here unchanged saying, yeah, I mean, I, we all got problems. But no one's doing anything about it. Don't miss the point of this text Keep reading. At the end of verse 42, Jesus says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is out in your brother's eyes. I love this. Jesus says, Don't be a hypocrite. Quit acting like you've got everything together. Instead, deal with the log in your eye, then you'll be able to help others. Deal with your log, and then you can help others. So we've missed that part, haven't we? We've taken that scripture and just said, yeah, I mean, I, I just can't. yep, we've all got logs. Isn't that great? Let's build a fire, you know, and we're just like backing out. But Jesus says, no, deal with the logs so that you can begin to build each other up. So the call of this passage, church, is to stop being a critic and instead become a counselor. A critic is someone who has ill will toward others, who is seeking to tear others down in some weird effort to build themselves up. Up. But a counselor is someone who lovingly confronts others with the truth in order to build them up Church, this is what we need today Can I just tell you the world has enough critics Can I also just say the church has enough critics But we are desperately lacking in wise counselors in our culture today I want to look at a few simple applications that will help us abandon our critical spirits and develop a heart to counsel others. And the first thing is, we've got to start with love. We have to start with love. If we're going to be able to counsel and critique others in a way that leads to real change, it starts with really loving people. Now, listen, I don't want to exhaust this because we spent a great deal of time on this last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you just to hop on the website and you can catch that sermon in its entirety. But the truth is, I said this last week in one of our services, you don't have to go outside of the church to find people who are difficult to love. And if it's the person sitting next to you, don't amen too loud, alright? The truth is, even within the church, we are not easy people to love. Love takes this agape love where we have an invincible goodwill toward others. But when we have this hard love, when we have this agape love, then we're in a position to actually help Others. I want you to look at this next slide. This really sums it up for us. When we are critical without the love that Jesus has been talking about, then that's what leads to the judgment Jesus is talking about here. When we criticize people without love, it leads to judgment. And listen to this judgment never leads to change. And I just want to tell you, I think this is why the church has lost so much ground in our culture today. When I say the church, I'm not talking about Crossroad. I'm talking about the Big C, the global church. We've lost so much ground in our culture today... Because we have been critical, even when we've been right, even when we've correctly identified sin as sin, even when we've correctly called out those who are walking in evil ways, when we've done it without love, all we've done is judged people in such a way that pushes them away instead of bringing them here where we can show them the love of Christ. The church has done this today, and it's so easy for us to do that even with each other. Think about this. Have you ever felt judged? And because you felt judged, you ended up changing everything in your life for the good. No, when you feel judged, like the natural reaction, like you're going to a tattoo parlor to get only God can judge me tatted on you, right? Like maybe not, but mentally you go there. By the way, that's always my favorite tattoo. I'm like, he will. But anyways, um, just just saying. But we think like, man, uh, here's what happens. Two things, I think, when I feel judged and when you feel judged, there are two reactions that we tend to have, and both of them are bad for us and bad for the people that end up in this position. When we're judged, we either shut down or we double down. When you and I are judged, we shut down, we we just cower down and say, man, I'm never going to do this, man, I can't believe this. They're right, I'm a total failure. Or on the other side, we double down. We say, oh, you think I'm sinning now? Just wait. Haven't you seen this in the lives of people around you? When they have felt judged, how it has hurt them and isolated them and made them withdraw. And yet there are others who have just turned it up, the rebellion to 10 and rip the knob off, right? When we live that kind of life, this is what happens. When we feel judged, we either shut down or double down and neither of those are good for us. Both of those hurt us. But look at this second Equation if you will I'm not a mathematician I'm like what is that thing up there There's some signs and stuff on it When we love people well And start with love Then we are able to give wise counsel Instead of criticism We have a heart for them Because we have a heart for them We're able to give them godly wisdom And that leads to them being built up Which leads to actual change When we start with love Real impact is possible Real change Real change is possible. Have you ever seen this happen in your life? A few years ago, I was pastoring a church that had grown significantly. We didn't have anybody on vocational staff except for me. And I was just in above my head. And I'll just be honest, I was not in a good place. We had some lay leaders who were very faithful, some elders and deacons, and I'm thankful for them. But my only correspondence with them was text messaging and our occasional meetings. And because I was just such in such a bad way, I basically have become incredibly whiny and annoying, right? Like every time we talked, it was like, everything's terrible, right? It's like I'm drowning. Like, somebody throw me a raft out here, you know? It's just like not a good, healthy situation. One day, one of the elders there at the church sent me a text message that if I threw it up here on the screen right now, you would probably think that is a very harsh and judgmental message, but you know what? He started with love. I knew he loved me. In fact, even in the text message, he said, Hey, man, I want to tell you that I love you and I'm thankful that you're here. But that's always a bad sign, right? It's <laughs> like, oh, here we go. But he basically, some hard, direct truth that confronted me and hit me right where I was at. So how do you think I responded in that moment? I said, Lord, I received this word. I know this is from you and I humbly receive what must be. No, my immediate reaction was like, uh, all right, log boy, convenient for you to be able to see the speck in my eye. Oh, you want to talk about it? I got a text I can send to you, man. But it didn't take very long for me to realize that he was right. And I knew that he started with love, and because he started with love, I knew that it came from a healthy place. And guess what? I was built up because of that direct confrontation. And our church was built up because of that moment. The reality is, if we're going to become wise counselors instead of critics, we have to start from a place of love. Do you love people enough to speak the truth to them? The second thing I think is harder. If we're going to be wise counselors, we have to humble ourselves. Humble yourself. Some of you are like, I already love everybody. Okay, you're prideful, so this point's for you. You ready? (laughs) That got some of you. (laughs) You were just sitting there thinking of your friends who should have showed up for this message, that unloving neighbor of yours, right? But we have to humble ourselves. How do we do that? We start by establishing a rhythm of repentance in our lives. We need to establish a rhythm of repentance in our lives. This is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He said earlier at the beginning of it, he said, the blind can't lead the blind. Like, what good is that going to do? If blind are leading the blind, they're both going to fall into the pit. It's not going to end well. So the call is to get the log out of your eye so that you can help others. But to get the log out of your eye requires humility. We have to stop and admit that we have our own stuff to deal with. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? Humility is required if we're going to become wise counselors because here's the thing dealing with your log means probably having brothers and sisters who lovingly point them out to you. Because let's get real, I'm super good at identifying sin in your life. I'm really good at it. Like, I could write a book for some of you, right? But I'm not so good at identifying sin in my own life. Don't you know that feeling? It's easier to see struggles of others than it is to see them in ourselves. Yet what Jesus calls us to do is to have godly friends, to have real accountability, to have people in our lives that can speak the truth to us. Why? Because if we're not careful, we all just start pretending everything's okay. That's what Jesus is calling out here. He says, you hypocrite. If you have a church background, you know that word hypocrite comes from a Greek word that means actor. Actor. Jesus is saying, quit acting like everything is okay when you've got a log in your eye. And this is what happens. The church ends up just being a bunch of people who come together. We're all scared to address each other because we don't want to get in your business. And, you know, hey, I mean, I got my own stuff to deal with, so I'm not going to say anything. So we all just come together, pretend that everything's okay. Meanwhile, we got enough logs in this place to keep Wichita warm for a thousand winters. And nobody's dealing with it. And nobody's changing. And nobody's becoming more like Jesus. Because we're just accepting where we're at. But Jesus says we must evaluate ourselves. Get out the chainsaw. It's time to do work. It's time to have real honest evaluation of where we're at. We've got to deal with the logs in our eyes. We've got to help each other out. One of the most helpful things you can do... Christ follower in the room today one of the most helpful Things you can do is when you're spending time With the Lord and I hope you're spending time in his word Daily and talking to him in prayer Is as a part of that time work On establishing this rhythm of repentance Say Lord would You reveal to me areas of My life that I need to turn Back over to you just a warning If you do that just you need to know He's going to do it all right And he may even use brothers and Sisters to help you identify those things It's never fun I'd rather just be like, hey Jesus, I love you, bless all the things I'm doing, peace, I'm out of here, right? That's how I like my prayer life to work. But Jesus says we need to establish this pattern of dealing with the struggles in our lives. Establish a rhythm of repentance. It's not an easy thing for us to do, but when we do it, God's going to bless us for it. We must be humble enough to receive wise counsels from others and to respond by dealing with the sins and the struggles that are in our lives. This is where it gets good, church. Because when we start with love, when we really love each other enough to speak the truth, and then we're humble enough to deal with our sin, then we can become the ones who start helping each other and speaking the truth and love to each other. And a beautiful thing happens. We get to witness love building up the church. Not just any kind of love. Not Notice this doesn't say like builds up the church, right? Notice it doesn't say uh, all best friends build up the church. It says love and invincible goodwill toward each other builds up the church. When we experience the love of Jesus, it messes us up in a good way to the point that we begin to build up the kingdom of God. When you love each other enough to tell the truth to each other, When we're able to hold each other accountable, when we're able to speak to each other, when we're humble enough to receive that truth, real life change begins to happen. And when we change, we actually are going to become less critical of each other and we're going to have a heart that seeks to build that other person up every single time. Can I just tell you something? This is what makes the church the church. It's really easy just to show up here to sing some songs, to hear some preaching, and to go on about our merry way. But if you want to experience real life change, this is where it starts. This is where it starts. Real relationships, real walking together, being able to speak the truth and love to each other in such a way that we can become a people who have real impact on our world. Pastor Bob read to us from John chapter 13, and he concluded with verse 35, which says this. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. How's that for an outreach plan, right? <laughs> you know, like uh, Knocking on doors is great. We've done that, and we'll do that. Mission work and mission activities, uh, programs and special outreach events, we've done those. We're going to continue to do those. Those are great things. But Jesus says, the world will know you belong to me based on the way you love each other. Do you know this message was actually preached to the disciples? I think when we hear judge not, you, or you'll be judged. We almost think of it in the outside culture, in the outside world around us. But Jesus, this says it here in Luke 6 and even in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 5, it said, Jesus preached to his disciples. Yeah, there were other people gathered there. And by the way, that's our model here at church. We are preaching to the church and we have guests every week and we're so glad you're here. And we are aware that you're here and want to make sure you hear the gospel. And we're thankful for that. But the truth is we are preaching to build up the church so that you can go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus was preaching to his disciples and said, don't judge each other. Because he realized that we would not be able to have this agape love As long as a critical spirit reigned within that group of disciples. Church, listen to me. If we actually want to fulfill this mission that's above our doors, if we want to really reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus, if we want to be his hands and feet, it starts with us having a real love for each other. Not a critical spirit. But instead, love that leads to wise counsel, that leads to real growth so that we are being built up. And as God builds us up and we begin to love each other more and more and the church is built up, guess what happens? Just what we said last week, that's going to spill outside the doors to the various communities that are represented in this church family, to Wichita and to the other cities and other towns. We will take this love with us everywhere we go. But it starts right here, right now with us saying together. Lord, will you help me stop being a critic and start being a wise counselor? Will you help me to love people enough to humble myself and get the log out of my eyes so that I can help my brothers and sisters become who you've created them to be? Here's the promise of this text. The same measure you give, it will be measured to you. May love and grace abound in your life and in this church so that all of us receive that love and grace of Christ and when other people come in, they immediately know that they're loved. You bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to pray over you and then we'll sing a song of worship. It's so easy for us to hear messages like this and perhaps the enemy would... Allow you to do what we said earlier Maybe you heard this in a critical way Perhaps today you've shut down Or maybe you're even going to double down on criticism And the enemy would have you do that But I would just ask you friends To not do that today But instead to Let the word of God Speak to your heart today Lord Jesus I I pray For my friends here God you know What you want to do in and through them Lord, I pray that by Your grace You would help us become a people who can help each other grow into Your likeness. Lord, give us a heart of love for each other that is so strong that the world around us sees that we clearly belong to You. Lord, where critical spirits have reigned in us, Lord, I pray that You would give us Hearts of grace. Lord, I, just in this moment, I'm reminded that oftentimes our critical spirits are reserved, even the most oftentimes, for ourselves. That often we, we judge ourselves harshly. We are hard on ourselves when you would say that you have love and grace available for us. Lord, may we experience that love and grace in a real way. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins so that we could have life. Lord, would we know that love today and because we know and experience that love, that would it change the way we interact with each other and with the world around us? God, we just want to be shaped by you. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. Help us to reach, teach, live and love like you've loved us.